If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll look at verses 31 through uh, chapter 11, verse 1. And we're going to look at this idea of reflecting Jesus every day. As a father, this would certainly apply to you to reflect Jesus every single day, but it would apply uh, more universally to each of us, no matter what uh, we are or who we are. Uh, we are called to reflect Jesus every day and in every way. And so uh, this is uh, hopefully a, a sermon that is bathed in practicality as you leave that you would be called to reflect Jesus every day and in every way. So let's turn and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 31 through chapter 11, verse 1. I'll read this for us. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I tried to please everyone and everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, would your word illuminate our hearts? Would we walk with you? Or let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway that we would be driven by the authority of your word that we would reflect your goodness to others. So teach us, refine us, shape us, and mold us more and more into your image. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning, let me ask you your top question. What do you or what do we look like? Now, I'm not asking what are you wearing today? What do you look like? How does your dress look? I'm not asking what you look like in your physical sense, but what are you reflecting? That's the sense of the question. What do you, what do we look like? Uh, several uh, months ago, uh, we came home from church or school, I can't remember where, and Helen Ann had drawn us a most beautiful picture, right? Does everybody know, everybody's clear what this is, right? I think it may be that way. So we're all aware of what this is, right? Everybody, you got it? Um, is it the beach? No. Is it the sky? No. This is a picture of our house, right? This is a picture of our home. And the good news is we don't have a blue home. We don't even have a green house. We don't even have a pink house, right? This is, this is Helen Ann's rendition of what I believe was, if our memory serves right, our house. And as she came to the house and began to tell us about how she had drawn this beautiful picture of our house, uh, we began to just hear her little heart as a two-year-old describe how this was precisely our house with so much confidence that she would make you think that you were the crazy one to not believe that this was a picture of our home, right? And for us, this is a beautiful picture. It's worthy of being up on our refrigerator. But can I tell you, this is not going to help you know where our house is, right? In no way would you look at this picture and have any idea or inclination where our house may be, what our house may look like, you've got no chance of finding our house from this picture, would you? No. This is in no way anything even closely related to our house. As a two-year-old, this is the best picture of a house that she's got. But you know, she's almost four, and she's getting better at drawing houses. It's getting better. She can get a square and a little triangle on top, and it's getting closer to looking like our house. Now, as she gets older and older, her pictures of our house will get better and better and better over the years that she learns and grows and matures with a pencil to be able to draw a better picture of our house. 
Till maybe one day she could do a bird's eye view of our house, that maybe she could even draw you a map of how to get to our house. The older she becomes, the more mature she becomes, she can become a better representation of our house. And I found the older, not excuse me, the older we become, but the more mature in Christ we become, the better reflection of Christ we become. That the younger in Christ we are, maybe our picture of Jesus in the gospel is not quite as perfect. And maybe you look at that picture and say, ah, I'm not really quite sure. It looks like Jesus may be in there somewhere. But the older and more mature we become, the better we reflect and the better we should reflect Christ. And I pray none of us, as we open our hearts and our lives to other people, would look at our picture of the gospel and say, what in the world is that? You're following Jesus? Is that Jesus? Is that real? Is that right? I hope our picture of Jesus would clearly reflect and demonstrate what we have believed about the gospel, what we uh, have internalized about the gospel. And so the question that I'll ask you and pose is as we begin this morning is what do we, what do you look like? What are you reflecting with your life? And doing so, we're going to ask that question, what does it mean to imitate Jesus and call others to imitate us? I want to look at verse 1 of chapter 11. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now that is a, a staunch statement by Paul, right? It's one that sometimes we look at and say, well, Paul feels maybe a little bit, feel a little bit arrogant to say, hey, you follow me as I follow Jesus, Right? And there's an aversion that we have in our Christian spirit that may say, uh, Paul, that's, that's Paul, but that's, that's not me, right? But you see, Paul say it often, right? It's not just a one-time deal where Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. 1 Corinthians 4, 15 and 17, Paul says, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel, and I urge you then, be imitators of me. Philippians 3, 17, brothers, join in imitating me. Philippians 4, 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 through 9, for you yourselves know that you ought to imitate us. 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 11. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and my sufferings. So Paul did not have a one-time gig where Paul said, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus, and that was the end of it. No, oftentimes he would encourage the people, follow me as I follow Jesus. And, and we have an aversion in our spirit at times from calling people to follow us as we follow Jesus. What may you say? You would maybe say, who am, who am I? Like, who am I to call other people to follow me as I follow Jesus? Who am I? Right? I'm not Paul. Right? I'm not starting churches. I don't have a Damascus Road experience. Who am I? I'm certainly not Paul. And maybe you say, I'm in a mess myself. How can I call others to follow me when I am a mess? Uh, I have... Over my life, had many a wonderful coach. Starting in, uh, Michael pulled out one of our pictures from AUM T-Ball way back in the day when I was wearing just high up socks and all that kind of stuff. He pulled it out and showed it to me. It was a good little moment. But I, I was recalling all the, the coaches that I've had over my life in T-Ball and coach pitch and little basketball at the Y, all these coaches over many years up through high school. And you know what I found is that most of those coaches didn't say, hey, Mark, I'm so sorry, I, I can't coach you t-ball. I'm not Aaron Judge. I don't, I don't know. I'm not in the majors. I'm not Mookie Betts, and so I can't coach you in t-ball. Uh, hey, I'm no MJ, so I'm not, I'm not able to be your coach in basketball. 
Hey, I, I, I'm not LeBron, man. I can't coach you in, in Little League basketball. I don't know. I've never, I've never played at the big leagues. I don't know how to do it. No, you don't see coaches say, I'm not qualified to coach you because I've never played in the majors. You see coaches say, hey, I played a little ball. I, I know what, what to do here. I can help you as little leaguers know what to do. You see, men and women step up to the occasion and say, we've got young people who need to be trained and coached. And so, you know what? I may not be perfect. I may not be the best coach out there, but you know what? I've got something to give. I've got availability, which is my best ability. I'm going to go and I'm going to help train these young kids how to swing a bat, how to hit a baseball, how to shoot a hoop, right? I may not be LeBron, but I can certainly teach somebody how to shoot a hoop. And the only thing in our Christian life that we do this with is Christianity. We're willing to coach, we're willing to teach, we're willing to train up a next generation of coaches or next generation in our workforce. But in the Christian world, some reason, we pull back and say, well, who am I? Who, who am I to teach or train the next generation? Who am I to help coach? I'm not Paul. I, I, this made me feel prideful to ask others to follow me and follow me as I follow Jesus. But when we do this, we buy into the lie of the enemy and we sit on the sidelines of a discipleship calling in our life. We would say, who am I? I can't do this. I'm not adequate for this. I'm not called to this. I'm not able to do this. I'm not Paul. I'm not Jesus. I'm not one of the apostles. So who am I to pour into the next generation? So with that, I, I want to pause just for a moment and speak to the older men and women in this congregation. And by older, you let that hit you however you want it to hit you, okay? Just older, senior, seasoned saints in our congregation. Speaking as a 34-year-old, almost 35-year-old husband and father, I desperately need to see what it means to follow Jesus as I grow older. I, I need to learn from your example. I need to know what it means to raise up kids in the likeness of Jesus. I need your experience. I need your wealth of wisdom poured into me. And our younger generation desperately needs your wealth of wisdom in our world. And I know it can be easier as a senior saint to point a finger at the younger generations and say they are lost as it gets. There's no chance for this next generation. But friends, we desperately need your influence in their life. We need to know as a young married man what it looks like to grow old together, to love your husband and wife together, to raise your kids up in the likeness of Jesus, to pour into them, to have family devotions, to take them on mission trips, to pour into them in RAs and GAs. We need our senior saints to rise up and pour into the next generation. If you've been in business for years and years and years, there are young Christians who are entering the workforce who want to know what it means to be a teacher a lawyer, a doctor, a tradesman, and keep our faith all the while and be a representation of Jesus in your workforce. So older saints, seasoned saints, can I implore you, if not beg you, call people to follow you as you follow Jesus. Yes, it may not be perfect. Yes, it is likely very imperfect. And you have made mistakes along the way. But we, as the next generation, need your influence and desperately need your wisdom. Your journey is not finished. The next generation needs you. Invite us into your home. Call us. Take us to lunch. Take us to dinner. I promise you the next generation will always be open to an invitation to a free lunch. Always. So take us with you. 
Show us the road. Teach us from your wealth of experience and your wisdom. Show us what it means to follow Jesus, to be married for 40, 50 years. I began pastoring this little country church in Argo, Alabama. The pastor down the street was my mentor, and he told me, before you do anything, go sit in every living room of your church. We had 25 people, so it's pretty easy to do. Go sit in every living room of every member of your church and take a notepad and just begin asking questions. Don't tell them anything. Just ask questions. And friends, I, I thought I was going to walk in. I thought I was just going to have this little thing to check off the box that my mentor gave me. But I sat for hours upon hours drinking hot, stale Pepsi and learning the most incredible stories of God's faithfulness, of God's provision and protection, how he had refined marriages and how marriages had stayed together over 50 and 60 years through Great Depression, through the wars. It was almost like they had to kick me out of their house at the end of the day because I was so taken with these senior saints who have been through so much. And the things that I learned there still help my marriage to this day. I'm a better man because of those senior saints who helped encourage me as their new young pastor what it meant to follow Jesus through incredible storms, through incredible journeys. And so senior saints, please, I beg you and implore you, do what Paul said. Be imitators of me as I am of Jesus. Bring people alongside you to grow in the grace of Jesus. And so let me flip it for a second and talk to our younger, less seasoned saints whatever that looks like and whatever you would fit into that mold. Our college students, our youth, our young professionals, our young marrieds in the room. You also desperately need the wisdom of our senior saints. And at times you can feel like they, they don't know what they're talking about in this new generation. They don't know what Twitter is. They don't know what Facebook is. They don't really know what's going on. Friends, they have a clue. Talk to them. Ask them to lunch. Ask them to dinner. Go with them. Ask them question upon question. Learn from the wealth of wisdom that they have to offer. There is in this room an incredible wealth of wisdom. As I look around, there are former missionaries in this room. There are CEOs in this room. There are marriages that have lasted for 50, 60 years in this room. Young people, you desperately need the wisdom that is all around you in this place. Humble yourself and ask questions of the generation that has gone before you and learn for how they follow Jesus faithfully over years and years and years of faithful service. Humble yourself. Learn from the imitation of people who are following Jesus the best that they know how. Learn from their mistakes. Learn from their joys. Learn from their detours. Older generations pour into the younger generations, and younger generations open your eyes and your ears to those who have gone before you and have paved the way. We have, all of us, much to learn. And can I tell you the joy, the joy that it is for us in this room to be a part of a multi- and intergenerational church. That You take the spiveys there for a moment, that You've got Wiley there with his two sons to his right and his grandson to his left. And I was just in Anaheim with your other grandson and their great-grandson. And the generations that are represented just on that pew is a beautiful reality of our church. As I look around and I see other pews in which you've got generations represented from grandparents and great-grandparents to kids and their grandkids sitting on the pews together. In our church, we're not representative of one generation. 
We're not representative of just the young or just the old. We're not a church that caters to just the young or just the old. We cater to the generations in our church. That we see it as a good thing that ge- the generations would come together to sing with one voice. That we would disciple together. That we would learn together. That we would grow together. When the young forsakes the old or when the old forsake the young, we have a serious issue. And so can I encourage you, older and younger generations, learn, grow, be open to do what Paul said. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Not in a puffed up, look at me as I follow Jesus, but in a humble meekness that would say, I am striving towards Jesus. Come along and learn from my flaws and my weaknesses and how Jesus is made wonderful. So let me ask you then this next question with plenty of space to write these things down. How do we, how do I imitate Christ? If Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, then the question would be, how do we imitate Christ? Well, let me give you three things that we can do, and you have place to write these down. How do we imitate Christ? First, in everything that we do, glorify God. In everything that we do, glorify God. If you go back to 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through the end of the chapter, Paul says, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whether you eat, whether you drink, whether you're going on big trips or whether you're going on missions or whether you're simply driving your car to work in the morning, whether you eat or whether you drink from the largest of accomplishments to the most menial of tasks. Whatever you do, do to the glory of God. In, in everything, glorify God. Every interaction, every opportunity, every engagement, every thought, everything we do. When we imitate Christ, everything we do, we do to the glory of God. What did Jesus do? But he was all about the business of his Father. And so we imitate Christ as we strive to do everything to the glory of God, eating, drinking. And I have said this so often, but I'll say it again. Just simply take the next right step of obedience in your life. Every day, the next right step of obedience in your life, of glorifying God. And we can worry about what's down the road of raising a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old, or we can say, I've got a 4-year-old, a 2-year-old, and a 1-year-old, and I'm going to glorify God in the next step of parenthood. Today, as I go to work, I'm going to glorify you this Monday as I step into my workplace. I'm going to glorify you. I'm going to honor you, Lord, in the next decision that I have to make. In everything, glorify God. Secondly, live to please God, not man. You see Paul say, give no offense to Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I tried to please everyone and everything that I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. There's an old adage that um, you've got to be careful because everybody is watching. Right? People are watching, so be good, right? Back in high school when we'd step off the bus and we would go into a restaurant, our coaches would always say, just remember, you're wearing your school's logo on your shirt. Be careful because people are watching, right? As our one voice and one heart choir were out, I'm sure that Ed and Greg would often say, remember, you're wearing the logo of the church. Be careful, your representation of the church wherever you go, into Arby's or into the, wherever you are, your representation where you go. And that is true, that people are watching. But at the same time, it's not just that people are watching, but God is watching. 
And so we live to please not just man, but we live to please the Lord. And that means when nobody is watching, when there's no one around, when there's not somebody looking down your shoulder, that your goal and that your aim, that your chief aim is to glorify God and to please the Lord. Whether people are watching or whether you are all alone, your integrity is when nobody is watching, you recognize that there is a God in heaven who sees all things, not to scare us into submission, but to recognize that we please the Lord in everything that we do, our thoughts, our actions, and our reactions. So in everything we glorify Christ, we live to please God, not man. And number three, we demonstrate our gospel grasp. We imitate Christ when we demonstrate our gospel grasp. That Paul's goal in saying that everything we do, we we live to please God, is that they might be saved. Our goal in imitating Christ is that others might be saved. That they can look at our reflection of Jesus and see a picture of Jesus clearly. That they would see the hope that we have in Christ is clearly displayed. We demonstrate our own gospel grasp. We look more like Jesus the more that we mature in Christ. Just as that picture that Helen Ann drew when she was young looks nothing like our house, the older she grows in Jesus, the more that she matures in Christ, the better picture of our house that she can draw. The older and more mature, excuse me, I shouldn't say the older, the more mature that we become in Christ. Just because we grow older doesn't agree that we grow more mature in Christ. The more mature that we grow in Christ, the better the reflection of the gospel to the world. That people would look at us and say, that's a picture of Jesus. In their workplace, in the home, in the marriage, that there is a picture of Jesus. That though we may fail, that though we may fall short, People may see a picture and an imitation of Jesus that others, by following us, could follow Jesus. This morning, I want to just give you a last thought as we leave this morning. I, as a communication major, have a, a proclivity towards infomercials. I love watching infomercials and find it so fascinating how they can take a seemingly insignificant problem and make it to be the most massive problem that you have ever faced in your life. Cutting an apple? Nope. Can't have it. Knife doesn't work. You've got to have some contraption to cut the apple, right? I mean, every possible insignificant problem can become a massive problem. And at the end of the infomercial, after they spent 30 minutes telling you how important this device is for your life, what do they always say? Don't delay. Call today, right? They know they've got that 30 minutes that they've just built this moment to remind you, don't delay. Call today. Recognize that they don't get you in that moment. If you don't respond in that moment that you're going to get going, you're going to get up from your TV, you're going to get up and you're going to get to other things and there's going to be a thousand other distractions to keep you from the primary task of that infomercial. Now, in no way am I calling myself an infomercial in the last 30 minutes than an infomercial for the gospel. But I am reminding you, don't delay. Start today. It is so easy to imitate Jesus and say, when I get older, when I get more mature, when I get there, when I get further along the pathway, tomorrow, the next day, I'll start living for Jesus in the future. I'll start being the father that I've been called to be when I get home, later, tomorrow, the next year, whatever it may be. We always have a proclivity towards procrastination and putting things off. And so I would strongly urge you, don't delay don't delay being the father that you are called to be. Begin today. If you failed a thousand times in the past, don't delay. Start now. If you've not been the husband that you should be, don't delay. Start today. 
If you have struggled in your workplace being the representation of Jesus, don't look behind you at all your mistakes. Look forward and say, how can I demonstrate Christ when I walk into that workplace on Monday? At your school, if you have failed over and over again, go back to your school on Monday or in the next semester and say, when I get back the first day, I'm going to prepare myself to be ready. Don't delay. I'm going to start now. Start today. Delayed obedience is disobedience. So don't delay, friends. Start today reflecting Jesus in all that we say and all that we do. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the goodness of who you are. We want to reflect you in everything that we do and every stance that we take and every thought and reaction that we have in our hearts. Lord, we want to reflect you well. We want to be our wonderful representation of you that as we mature in you, so our reflection of you would be crystal clear. Lord, help us, refine us, shape us more and more into your image. And Lord, I pray that we would, we would pour our influence and our wisdom, that we would be disciple makers to those that you place on our pathway. That we would be willing to pass down what we have been given. That we would, as we imitate you, that we would compel others to follow our example. Lord, thank you for the example that Paul gave to us. And would you teach us, shape us, and mold us into your image. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.